There are times in life when you just have to say no. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Whether it's at the office, on the internet, or in a college classroom, there will be times in our lives as a Christian when we'll need to display an unwavering commitment to God. And it won't always be easy. We might be ridiculed or even persecuted for doing so, like the three Hebrew young men we'll learn about today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has an eye on Daniel 3. As you'll soon see, this story has great relevance for us today. When presented with the opportunity, will we bow to a false religious system or will we take a stand for God? Here's Pastor Ed with the story of three men who trusted in the Lord when it wasn't easy to do so. Isn't it interesting today, you see it all through YouTube and you'll see it on the news, where you see cameras watching someone break the law as they look around in all directions. And they didn't quite see the camera that was right on them at that particular angle. They looked around in all the directions. And we just think we understand. We, we, we get to a place where we're so convinced. I won't get caught. No one will know. Neither one of those things are true. If you're in a place of compromise and you've looked around all directions, there's one direction that Moses didn't think of, which Sadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're the only ones thinking of this. And as you look around all directions, like you can look at it 360, that's the new phrase. We look at it all 360, you've got to remember to look up. Because God, the Bible says, sees all things. Not only looking up, but looking in. Because the Bible says for every born-again believer that God lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is greater than any part of your conscience. <laughs> you rely upon your conscience, you know, in the... Disney movie with little Jiminy Cricket following you around trying to convince you or some of the cartoons on you have an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. No, you have God living in you and you can look all around in every direction but remember to look up and look in and you'll find the fortitude to take a stand for righteousness. You'll find the fortitude not to compromise, not to make, you know, because the, the path away from God is almost always not a big compromise. It's a little one seemingly insignificant in the moment that it happened. Seemingly, hey, I looked around. Nobody's around. Nobody sees. Nobody's going to find out. These three young men are 20 years past being taken from their homeland, 20 years past being with their family, 20 years past working within the government and adapting and up to this point living a life of no compromise. And they had the boldness to face King Nebuchadnezzar, which was no small thing. It says in verse 13, coming back to Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. And by the way, just to finish up with Moses, he looked around and then he killed the Egyptian and he got busted for it. It was not hidden. It was known. And that led to the next 40 years in the wilderness. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads you into the wilderness and sometimes it's your sin and the consequences of your sin that will give you 40 years on the backside of the wilderness. And the consequences 
of not big sin. We, we, we usually hear about the big sin, but we don't hear about the small compromises that led to that big, big explosion in your life because compromise always breeds more compromise. Especially when you think, listen, especially when you think you got away with it. Especially when you think, well, I looked around and, you know, it's been, hey, it's been a few years. It, it really hasn't. Nobody's ever going to find out. But you've been living with it for a few years and you've been corrupted inside because you've been found out from the moment we compromise. The Holy Spirit bringing conviction into our life. The Holy Spirit holding us back. Well, Nebuchadnezzar isn't going to play this, and neither is the enemy, where it says in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a type of the enemy, and he flies into a rage. And he orders Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him because he's going to intimidate them. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you're going to be thrown in immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? One of the downfalls in Nebuchadnezzar's life was his temper and his anger. For a new covenant believer, this is referred to in Galatians as an outburst of wrath. It's part of your old sinful habits and your old sinful nature. And some of you had a serious anger problem before you were saved. And it's an area you need to walk out, watch out for and continue to lay before God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, this is a big issue for him. And here he is in a fury, or according to verse 13, he flies into a rage. The word literally means you can circle it, quaking and trembling with rage. He's overcome by it. And the young men are called to his presence and he gives them a second chance to compromise. Won't you just bow down? Won't you just bend the knee? And I, I love it. I, I'll give you one more chance. What do you mean? What do you mean one more chance? One commentator put it this way, and I quote, The repetition of this entire edict no doubt was done with a flourish. And although he was probably well aware of the jealousy of the Chaldeans, those that turned him in, and he took this into account, he makes it clear to the young men that there's no alternative but to worship the image. From King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, there's no alternative. And that's how compromise happens in our lives. We think that there's no way out. And we minimize ourselves to just a couple of choices. There's no way out. I'm stuck here. And the only way to get out of being stuck is to make this decision. I know it's not the right decision. I know it's against this scripture. I know, that, but I need to get it because I'll be stuck here. You know, you get backed into a corner and you don't know how to get out. And so you cover it up and you do one sin after another sin and after another sin. Many times in my office, maybe even sometimes up here at the stage, I'll have somebody come up to with me and share with me that they have something serious that they need to share with their spouse. And the counsel will always be the same. You need to tell your spouse. That's the counsel. Well, well no, I, I could never do that because if I told her, if I told him, then all hell will break loose and this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. And what, I, I understand the fear in that. You feel backed into a corner. I, I understand that there's a great possibility that what you're saying is true. But the alternative is to continue to lie and live a lie in your marriage. Day after day, week after week, hiding the truth, eroding the relationship, undermining the trust. That's the alternative. To not tell the truth. And the Bible word for not telling the truth is what? Lying. 
And I like to use Bible words. So, so what you're saying is you're just going to continue to live a lie with your, with your wife and just let it sit in. Because the alternative is not to hide things, even though you've come to all this way. And then think about it. If, if you've come up to the stage to pray or you've made an appointment with one of the pastors, isn't it true the Holy Spirit's ministering to you and bringing it to light? <laughs> isn't it true he's saying it's, it's time now? And I've seen it more than one time where this church, under the teaching of the Word of God, just simple teaching. I'm not even mentioning any sins, not even calling things out. Like I don't have a long list that I let roll down and say, let me read a list of sins that might be hidden in the room today. And we just spend 45 minutes reading sin after sin. And oh, that was me. That's me. That's me. That's me. It's not even that. It's not that at all. It's the teaching of the word of God that you bring, you, you come ready, you come receptive and the Holy Spirit says, today's the day. And it really has nothing to do with the text, nothing to do with where we're at. The Holy Spirit's just saying, you know, you're ready. And then you're afraid. And then you come asking for help. And then you hear the counsel. And then you get more afraid. And you feel backed into a corner. And the enemy says, I'll give you one more chance. Just comp- I'll just give you one more chance. It'll be fine. One more time. What's the big deal? Who's that guy up there anyway? He's just a man. Who's that guy? Well, don't even listen to him. And the temptation is to go find someone else. Says, oh, no, no. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't obey God. They never actually use those words, do they? They have all kinds of Christianese to get around the reality of God is doing a work in your life. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're at a place of decision. And the enemy comes whispering and he comes knocking. I'll give you one more chance. Just bow down. Everything will be fine. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar, historians tell us for the king here, when Nebuchadnezzar would conquer a country, he allowed the captives to worship their own gods. So having other gods was not that big a deal for the king. And maybe he tries to persuade them a little bit because he loved them. Uh, He cared for them. He had a great experience with Daniel and on Daniel's behalf, he cares for them, promotes them right away. He says, you know, I look, I worship with you. I let you guys worship whatever gods you want to worship. So just add this one, add this God. And then remember, there is a fiery burning furnace Uh, that you'll be in if you don't, a little bit of a threat. But that's always the way of the enemy and our flesh when we're backed into a corner. You know, it might be like this. You know, go ahead and go to church. Just don't take it seriously. Go ahead, have a Bible. But when you're around your friends, you go back to school, just make sure you're you're different. You know, don't take this so so seriously. At church, raise your hands, be emotional, cry, say you love God. But when you leave the property, wherever you might go, at work, be one of the guys. At school, be one of the gals. Don't take it seriously. It's okay, go ahead and you can worship God and you can do your own thing at the same time. But it's compromise. It's compromise. Bow the knee to the world, the devil might say, but you can still do the church thing. I don't care if you do the church thing. The only time the devil cares when you do the church thing is when you take your relationship with Jesus seriously. The devil doesn't really care if you're a compromiser. You go, Ed, I haven't really faced a lot of spiritual warfare lately. The devil never shows up at my house. I never met a demon. I don't know what the kind of spiritual warfare you're talking about. You know, it could be one of two things. It could be that you just haven't experienced it yet, or it could be you're so compromising that there's no need to come against you. It could be that your love relationship with Jesus is waning, and so spiritual warfare is foreign to you. You're just not in a battle because there's no one to fight. Because you're doing the church thing, but you're really not doing the Jesus thing. 
And I know that's kind of a slang way of saying you're not taking your relationship with Jesus Christ seriously, and it really doesn't matter if you're in this room or not. If you're not going to take it seriously, you're just building a continual wall against you and God. And it's not his heart. Because you know Nebuchadnezzar comes and he says, I give you one more chance. Do you know God will come to you and say, I'll give you one more chance. He's the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth. And I'm grateful for the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. I'm grateful that he doesn't discard us. I'm grateful that he's patient. I'm grateful that he's kind. I'm grateful that he gives us. So you get the second chance from the enemy, but you also get the second chance from the Lord. You choose. You choose. But it's possible, isn't it? It's possible that you have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and, and you're just so compromised that, that it's just, it, it, it isn't, you, you're not, you're not you, you got too much of the church to have fun in the world. And so you're all miserable, but you're still on the party scene, right? But you have the Lord in you. You, just, you have enough of Jesus in you that the world doesn't satisfy you. But then you also have so much of the world in you that you're really not fully surrendered to the Lord. What a miserable place to be. Jesus would call that to the church lukewarm in Laodicea. Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. He says, I would wish you'd rather be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm... I will vomit you or spew you or it will be a separation of the joy that you could have in him. And if you've compromised and you believe that you've gotten away with it, it puts you in more danger to compromise again. So there's the enemy. I'll give you one more chance. One more chance. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, okay, we'll bow down. No problem. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not it. I love this. We don't need to defend ourselves before you, Nebuchadnezzar. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we'll never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. What an answer. Like either way, whatever you do to us, Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus put it this way. You know, don't fear man. It will kill the body. Fear God that can take both body and soul. And here they are standing before a man, the most powerful man on the planet, at least at the very least, the most powerful man in their lives with the power of life and death in his hands, the fiery furnace not too far away. And they stand up to him, and I believe they include your majesty for the purposes of showing that they are paying him due regard. And yet taking a stand for the things of God. You know, you don't have to be all in people's face and yelling and screaming in order to take a stand for the Lord. You can be very respectful and take a stand for Jesus Christ in love, in spirit, and truth. But what boldness. They say, hey, God is able to deliver us. Let's clear that up. But if he doesn't, it makes no difference to us. We're not going to bow down. We don't count our lives dear to ourselves. These aren't words of doubt, but of absolute dependence coming from an intimate, regular relationship. And I would give you some homework. We're going to be in this as a church not too long, so this, here's some homework. Go through chapter 11 of Hebrews and just make mention. Maybe you want to print it out if you don't like to write in your Bibles, or if you do write in your Bibles, just go through chapter 11 of Hebrews and mark the verbs, the actions of the people mentioned. Mark all the verbs and see what's possible by faith in Jesus Christ. See what's possible in your life, especially in what you're facing today. See what's possible that you are able by faith to stand 
and take a stand for the Lord. It might cost you, yes. It might cost me. But at what cost does compromise come? Mark the verbs. And here their confidence is not in themselves. Their confidence isn't that if they get thrown into the fiery furnace, they can somehow, you know, skip through the flames and avoid them, which was impossible. Their confidence wasn't in each other. Their confidence wasn't even in Nebuchadnezzar showing mercy. Their confidence was very laser-focused. They were confident in God. He's who they were looking to in this moment. They knew what the Old Testament law said. They were students. They, they, even though they were taught of those things in Chaldea and Babylon, they were students. And according to Exodus chapter 20, they were commanded not to bow down to an image. That was the command of God. And they remember as they studied in Exodus, later on in Exodus chapter 32, at the base of Mount Sinai, where the newly redeemed Hebrews created an image of a golden calf. And they remember what happened. They have the history. You know, we, we learn by experience. And that's often the case. We learn by experience. But did you know you can learn by experience, but it doesn't always have to be your experience? You can learn from someone else's experience. As the Bible says, these things were written uh, about them in the Old Testament for our admonition. We're to learn from those that came before us so that we repeat the good things as it relates to a relationship and we avoid the negative things. And on the plain of Dura, Nebuchadnezzar, he creates an image and they're not bowing down. And their summary really is, whatever you decide, Father, we'll trust in you. You're in control. We've seen your faithfulness in the past, and we'll see it in this fiery furnace that we face. We will worship you alone. And they exercise faith here. Not faith in faith, as if somehow faith had some power to manipulate. If you just have enough faith, you can move mountains in, in the sense that you can move Nebuchadnezzar, and you can have so much faith that Nebuchadnezzar will bow to your faith. That, that's not anywhere in the text here. They didn't have faith in faith. They didn't have faith in their words. They didn't have faith in their confidence. They didn't have faith in themselves or boldness, all the things that we might lean on. They had faith in God. That's where they stood. And they committed their lives to a faithful creator. They committed their lives to God because he knows what's best and we are best submitted to him. That's the best place. The Bible says that the best place for you to be is to be found, as Colossians says, hidden in Christ. That's the best place on planet earth. And here they are, hidden in God, going, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, king, your majesty, God can deliver us from the fire. And even if he doesn't, we're not bound down. You don't have any authority over us. Like Peter would later say, if we're to obey God or man, you decide, but we're going to choose to obey God. You think of it in our own lives. You know, if God decides to heal me, then he will. But if he doesn't, he hasn't failed me. I'll be in his presence. If God, I'm praying right now for God's help, and if God decides to help me, he'll help me. But if he doesn't, God is still faithful. He'll still use it for his glory. You know, I, I need help with my business, and if God doesn't come through, I might lose my business. But even if he doesn't come through, I need God more than my business. He's faithful. I mean, what are you praying for today? Where you've left God no alternative. The only alternative you laid there is going to disappoint you. You need to replace the alternative or at least add, hey, God, if you don't do this, and if you don't do this, and you don't do this, even if you don't answer the prayers the way I want them, when you answer your, my prayer according to your will, I have you, and that's all I need. I'm going to be with you for all eternity. 
I know, I know what it's like to desperately pray, for, pray to God for something. I know what it's like to stay up all night, 24-hour, 36-hour prayer watch, and have the answer to prayer be the exact opposite of what I asked for. But in no way does it diminish the faithfulness of God. He's faithful. And although I don't understand how it all will go down, I don't have the full picture. You know, the will of God is kind of like a puzzle, if you notice. And we only get one piece at a time. But the problem with the puzzle of our life is sometimes it feels like we've lost a few pieces. And we just don't know where this one fits. And at times we don't have the box. And so we don't even know what the picture is going to be like. We have an idea because we put some pieces together, but we don't know. And so we're frustrated because this doesn't seem to fit. And I don't even have the box, so why are we doing this stupid puzzle? And then you get really mad and you just wipe it all off on the floor and start over. However God chooses to answer, the response should be the same. I'm going to stand firm on the word of God. I'm going to hold fast to his promises. And even if he answers different than my expectations, it's only because my expectations needed to be adjusted to his sovereignty and his providence and his will for my life. Do you remember when you were born again? Whether you were a child or an adult, do you remember how simple it was? Do you remember how you just surrendered? You had no strings attached? You didn't have any, uh, for some of us, I didn't have any knowledge of the Bible. I didn't own a Bible. I, I didn't know what my life, which direction my life would take. I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know if my marriage would stay together. I didn't know what would happen with my young child. I didn't know how the bills would be. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't have any of the future. As I look back now in 28 years and I can see, I can see the faithfulness of God looking back. But when I was born again, it was very simple. I believed God at his word and I surrendered my life to him, whatever it meant. I didn't surrender my life to a theology. I didn't surrender my life to man's doctrine. I didn't surrender my life to a church or to a pastor. I didn't surrender my life to the guy that invited me to church. I didn't surrender my life to some Bible bookstore or radio program. I mean, even when I was saved, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Christian radio. My dial didn't go there. I had no idea that the Bible could be taught like that and you could learn. I, I didn't know, but I tell you what I did know. I knew of the love of God in a very simple way. And I knew that Jesus Christ was sent, the Son of God, to die for my sins all of my sins, and that he died not because, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, willingly. He came despite my resistance. He came to die for me despite my rebellion, despite how I treated my parents, despite how many times I drove, drove drunk, despite how many times I stole from someone or lied to someone or all the things I, that my memory couldn't even remember, of all the things I could low, level charges against me, that my life was worthless, it was never going to amount to anything, and that I had already thrown my life away. And I believe someone listening, you got that same feeling. You're just like, man, and, and everybody keeps reminding me I'm all on failures, and everybody keeps reminding me I'm not going to amount to anything. Anything. And everybody keeps reminding me that I'm not going to make it. Listen, simple faith in Jesus Christ will give you the next step. I don't know what 28 years are going to bring you, but I do know 28 seconds will bring you peace. 29 seconds, 30 seconds. But it's a life of surrender. Not following man, but following the man, Christ Jesus. That is the best decision we'll ever make in life, to follow Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, we pray that you will. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com sometime today if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. 
We've been blessed in recent months by the large volume of people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We are so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that's inspirational, to put it mildly. It's Standing in the Fire by Tom Doyle. There is no doubt we live in a dangerous world with a virus that's hard to contain, civil unrest, and people doing harm to others. It would be easy for us to be paralyzed by fear, but there's another way to go, and that is to stand courageously. This book will encourage you to be courageous and realize you're a victor in Christ. Request a copy of Standing in the Fire when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, we'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel and join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.